one parent, two kids, 423 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the natural, historical, and cultural treasures of the United States. And so diplomats were sent to the Ottoman Empire, they were sent to Gibraltar, they were sent here to Tangier. Um, they were located somewhere else in the city, and then this has been our home since 1821. Uh, it was uh, a diplomatic mission until uh, it served as the primary diplomatic mission in Morocco for most of its time until Moroccan independence in 1956 when an embassy was built in Rabat. We have the pleasure today of speaking to John Davison, former U.S. diplomat and the director of the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies, Talim. As the name suggests, Talim is housed in the former American Legation building in Tangier, Morocco. It is the only U.S. National Historic Landmark located in a foreign country. National Historic Landmarks are those that have been recognized by the Secretary of the Interior as possessing national significance. Properties that help us understand our history. All National Historic Landmarks are part of the National Register of Historic Places, which is the official list of the nation's historic properties worthy of preservation. Landmarks constitute more than 2,500 of more than 90,000 entries in the National Register. Others are of state and local significance. Both the National Historical Landmark Program and the National Register of Historic Places are run by the National Park Service. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us more about yourself and what brought you to Morocco. Well, thank you very much, Christine. Um, well, what brought me to Morocco was a long, long time ago. <laughs> I joined the Peace Corps, um, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Eastern Morocco. In a, I was a high school English teacher, Lycée Lemoun in Berkhan, if anyone's watching from Berkhan, hello. Uh, very close to the Algerian border. So I uh, <coughs> worked... I worked at Peace Corps, and while I was in Peace Corps, I was accepted into the Foreign Service. So after I left the Peace Corps, just about two months later, I joined the Foreign Service. So while I was in Peace Corps, I visited the American Legation Museum because a friend of mine from Peace Corps was doing a summer project here. His name was Chris Stevens. He was uh, our ambassador to Libya, who was assassinated. Um, and he was doing a summer project here, working on, ar on archives. And he's even in the museum. Here he here is Chris, if you can see that. Uh, that's Chris when he was a Peace Corps volunteer working uh, here in Tangier. And I um, came up to visit and and we were friends throughout, you know, uh, throughout our careers and stuff. And we, we would always talk about what a, what a perfect job this would be for someone in reti a retired diplomat. And unfortunately um, for Chris, it didn't, things worked out um, badly, but it, I think of him a lot whenever I'm here. And so it's, uh, I, I uh, like to think that I brought a little bit of Peace Corps <coughs> to my approach to uh, a com combination of Peace Corps and uh, diplomacy to my approach to um, directing the Legation Museum. Thank you. Please tell us more about what makes the Tangier American Legation Building so special and why it was designated a National Historic Landmark. It's primarily it's special because it's the oldest continuously occupied U.S. diplomatic property in the world. There are older 
embassies or ambassadors' residences in Europe, but they were not all. They did not always belong to the United States State Department. Uh, this property did. It belonged to the State Department since 1821, when it was given to the um, given to the U.S. government by uh, Sultan Muley Suleiman uh, of Morocco. There had been diplomats in Morocco, uh, in Tangier, in fact, for about 30 years prior to the establishment of the building here, where we're currently located, because uh, one of the first priorities of foreign affairs for the fledgling Republic of the United States were resolving um, the, uh, the Barbary Coast crisis. And so diplomats were sent to the Ottoman Empire, they were sent to Gibraltar, they were sent here to Tangier. Um, they were located somewhere else in the city, and then this has been our home since 1821. Uh, it was uh, a diplomatic mission until uh, it served as the primary diplomatic mission in Morocco for most of its time, until Moroccan independence in 1956 when an embassy was built in Rabat. But um, in, uh, especially uh, in the, uh, for a good part of the 19th century, it was the only diplomatic mission. We did build a consulate down in Casablanca also in the 19th century. But Tangier remained, the city of Tangier, <clears throat> remained more or less the diplomatic center for Morocco. So the other countries who had diplomatic relations, um, their legations or their consulates, they never used the word embassy back then, were based in um, Tangier. We were to begin with a consulate. We didn't become a legation until the 20th century uh, because the property that we're located on expanded. We acquired three other properties. We added stories to this building. This building was actually mostly destroyed in 1844 and rebuilt. Um, France bombarded uh, the city of Tangier in response to Moroccan support for Algeria. And uh, the building was damaged and rebuilt and um, some floors were added in the 20s, some other buildings were acquired in the 20s. Uh, a final building was acquired in 1940. Uh, just as war was breaking out. And during the war, uh, there were 65 Americans who served in this building, most of whom were military and many of whom were military intelligence, the Office of Special Services, who were here uh, during the war, um, helping among other things to plan uh, the landings. The, the OSS in Casablanca and the OSS in Tangier were working on planning the Allied landings, which eventually did take place in Casablanca, not here in Tangier. And also um, during the war, the uh, head of the legation helped uh, Hungarian Jews escape from Budapest to Tangier, working in collaboration with the Spanish ambassador to Hungary. Um, about uh, almost 600 Jews and were saved and they came and spent the war here. And in total, when along with their children, there's estimated that between 11 and 1200 um, Jews were rescued um, and spent the war here in Tangier. And then after the war, uh, this was in the lead up to Moroccan independence, the United States was largely supportive of Moroccan self-determination that began, and there's another picture across the, across the way, um, that began after the, norm, uh, the, the landings in Casablanca, the Allied landings, 
when Franklin Roosevelt held a dinner in honor of then Sultan Mohammed V, and he hosted it with Winston Churchill, who was upset um, that the uh, American president was inviting the Moroccan Sultan to dinner because he said it would upset the French, who were also invited. It did upset the French. It probably upset Churchill as well, because during the dinner, um, Roosevelt promised US support for Moroccan autonomy um, following the war, which ultimately happened here in Tangier in 1947, when the Sultan, uh, with some aid from the United States, who were pressuring France and Spain to let him travel to Tangier, delivered a speech uh, just outside the walls of the old Medina, not very far away from us. And um, in that speech, he basically called for self-determination as well. And in the lead up to that speech, when the diplomatic corps went to the train station of Tangier to greet him, his representative introduced in order, first the American head of the legation, and then um, the head of the Tangier International Zone Commission. And rumor has it that the final two diplomats of all of them to be received were the French and the Spanish. <laughs> but um, we, so uh, we ceased to be the primary mission in 1955, 56, when an embassy was built. This was the Cold War. There was a lot of pressure to increase American presence. A, a new consulate building in the new part of Tangier was built in 1961. This building then became a language training center for foreign service officers for the better part of the uh, 60s. And in the early 70s, uh, another person not normally associated with Peace Corps, Richard Holbrook, um, the Richard Holbrook of the Dayton Accords, but at the time he was the head of the Peace Corps, Peace Corps director in Morocco, he shifted the Peace Corps language training center up here to the legation where it was for about four years. And then in 1976, the State Department was on the verge of selling it, um, selling the property, but some diplomats, uh, both former US ambassadors to Morocco, as well as diplomats in Rabat and the Consul General here in Tangier, working uh, in collaboration with some wealthy Americans who lived here in Tangier and some academic, uh, American academics, uh, persuaded the State Department not to sell it, but instead to rent it to an association called the Tangier American Legation Museum Society that had a view to creating a museum that would honor the Moroccan-American historical and cultural friendship. Um, so we became a museum in 1976 during the bicentennial. And then in the early 1980s, again, with lobbying from the State Department and uh, some of the same people who helped create the museum, uh, they lobbied the uh, Department of Interior uh, and the National Park Service to designate the building as a national landmark. It was uh, the uh, it is the only U.S. national landmark uh, located outside of the United States and its current or former territories. There are some landmarks, I believe, uh, in some Pacific Island uh, former territories that became independent countries but this is the only one that was built from the beginning in a country that was uh, independent. And so we've been a national landmark. And in uh, 2015, we were added to the list of historic sites for Morocco. So you could say that we're a la national landmark in two countries.
Wow, that's fascinating. And so I understand that the building is is celebrating a very special anniversary in in days. Can you tell us more about that? In days. Um, The property was given to us May 17th, 1821. And we'll celebrate the building's bicentennial uh, Monday, uh, May 17th, 2021. Uh, Because of the pandemic, it's going to largely be a press event. Uh, So it will be covered um, by Moroccan media. We hope that the Chargé d'Affaires, the acting ambassador, uh, will come come up from Rabat. The governor of Tangier, Tetuan uh, province will attend and also uh, some uh, representative of the Moroccan foreign ministry should come up. Uh, it will all be uh, covered by the media and then uh, not live streamed like uh, on Zoom or anything like that. That's a little bit too hard to arrange when you have um, speeches, you know, when you have people in a room like that. But the next day, which happens to be uh, May 18th, which is International Museums Day, we will host on our rooftops a performance by some uh, Tangier street performers that we collaborate with in some of our youth outreach programming. And that we do hope to cover on uh, Facebook Live. And we'll be duplicating what we did last year for the anniversary of the the legation. We issued, uh, for the first time, a virtual tour an online virtual tour of the legation, and I can share that link with you. And uh, and then the next day we held our first virtual live stream concert featuring uh, a Moroccan musician named Sarah Arish, um, who performed in uh, Arabic and Ladino, which is the language of the Sephardic Jewish community, because part of her repertoire in, uh, involves old Andalusian and old uh, uh, Sephardic Jewish songs. And so we'll repeat it with a bigger ceremony with people. Last year, we couldn't have any sort of gathering. Uh, we could record her live here at the legation, but we didn't have any audience to speak of at all. There were three of us, four of us, three technicians and Sarah in the in a, in a room. And then, um, so we'll repeat that by having a, an event uh, for the press here uh, on the 17th of Bicentennial and then a concert on the a performance on the 18th. But throughout the year, as restrictions are eased, we hope to be able to do more events um, that will honor the legation. The State Department and the embassy uh, in Rabat are, hosts, are opening at the National Library an exhibit about a Moroccan-American friendship that will open in June. It will probably have restricted attendance as well. But that exhibit will move it probably in the beginning of October to Casablanca. And then shortly after the beginning of next year, it will move to the new uh, American Museum of National Museum of American Diplomacy in Washington. And so hopefully part of the legation, uh, the legation story will be a permanent uh, fixture and a permanent part of the exhibition at the Museum of American Diplomacy, because like I said, the first negotiations were the Burberry Coast and were the, were the oldest uh, property of the, of the United States. So I think we'll be featured there a bit. Fascinating and great that there's an opportunity for people to participate virtually. Mm-hmm. And now it is time for our outdoor organization feature. During the month of May, we're continuing to work alongside several other outdoor industry and national park-related content creators to feature a non-profit organization. This month's organization is Get Out, Stay Out, Vamos Afuera, which is committed to increasing diversity and representation for people of color 
especially Indigenous youths, within the outdoor industry by ensuring they have opportunities to run, play, and discover themselves in the natural world. They work to allow kids the opportunities to access outdoor recreation in order to, for them to connect with nature and themselves, as well as to increase their self-confidence, leadership skills, or world-building community. Follow Get Out Stay Out on Instagram at getout.stayout. Please consider a donation to support their work. 100% of your donation will go to youth excursions. Check out their website at vamosafuera.org. We'll also post links in our episode notes. So, uh, what exactly is Talim, if I'm pronouncing it correctly? And oh, yeah. what, what, what does it do? Can you tell us more about the, the institution and the organization? Talim is the English way of pronouncing it. We like to pronounce it Talim in Morocco, uh, it does not transliterate very well. Talim is the Arabic word for education. So uh, it means the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies, uh, because we have an educational function that we did not have when we, the museum was created. The museum was created, and just within a couple of years of its creation, we were receiving uh, donations of rare books uh, about Morocco and about North Africa. So we created a research library, uh, which has a collection of about 8,000 uh, books and uh, not, not really very many manuscripts, but it has some wonderful collections of uh, uh, glass negatives that were taken by a French photographer in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, 2,000 of which have been digitized and are online, most of which are of Tangier but some are other cities in Morocco and even cities in Algeria. And he was from France. So there were some uh, glass negatives of, of his home in France and Spain. But we have a collection of that. We have the, on, if anybody remembers microfilm, we have microfilm of the diplomatic correspondence between the United States, between Tangier and the State Department that date back to the beginning of the 19th century. Um, to the very beginning of the 20th century. Uh, we, had to have, we had to locate someone to donate a microfilm reader because these things don't exist anymore. And when researchers come to, uh, to, to look at the records, we get to teach them uh, what, it is, what a microfilm reader is. But we have a lot of researchers, most of whom are Moroccan. Uh, they're not always academics. A lot of historical preservation uh, advocates and authors um, will come and use the library. People, novelists who write about uh, write about Tangier, the international zone period. We've had uh, people from the government of Morocco, especially here, looking at some of the historical records that we have specifically about the city of Tangier. We've got a lot of maps and things like that that date from um, uh, the protectorate periods, but we also have some classic maps going back to the 17th century, uh, 18th century, from sort of vintage atlases that, we were, that were given to us, mainly from the uh, collection that was inherited by the sons of Malcolm Forbes, the publisher, who had a second home here in Tangier. He had a museum, uh, of all things, of tin soldiers. Tin, he had a, he was a, he's known for having been a collector of Fabergé eggs, but he also collected tin soldier uh, uh, dioramas. And he had a couple of them 
commissioned reflecting uh, Moroccan battles, historic battles, and we've got them in the museum and in the library. So uh, we have parts of his collection. We have parts of um, uh, uh, the books donated by other people who also donated artwork to the library. But with those books, we started to collaborate uh, with what's called the American Institute of Maghreb Studies, which is a three-member organization of overseas research centers, one in Tunis, Tunisia, one in Oran, Algeria, and we are here in Tangier. Um, we, working with AIMS, as they're called, we sponsor American postdoctorate, doctoral and postdoctoral candidates. Um, we hold academic conferences. We have um, uh, work with uh, Moroccan and the university students and graduate students holding doctoral workshops, uh, methodology workshops, and we hope to be working with a, a PhD program in cinema to be uh, working with, to bring uh, film directors from the region to work with uh, Moroccan graduate students, uh, filmmaking students, which is because the, uh, one of the things that we try to do is as much as possible bring academics together with practitioners. And we don't only work with uh, <coughs> doctoral and postdoctoral candidates, we work with um, people literally of all education levels, including no education level. Uh, in 1999, in partnership with a, with a Tangier Historical Preservation Association, we launched a, a literacy program, an Arabic literacy program for Moroccan women who live in our neighborhood in the old city. And uh, since 1999, over 1,500 women have been educated in Arabic and what we call uh, economic literacy. They learn mathematics. Some of them learn job skills like embroidery or uh, baking. Some of them study uh, French or Spanish or English if they need that for their jobs. Um, so uh, we hope to include them, at least some of those women, uh, in our bicentennial celebration as well. And uh, we've begun uh, recently to work with uh, youth from the neighborhood, working with the American Language Center to get them language scholarships and youth associations from uh, new neighborhoods of Tangier, new working class neighborhoods of Tangier, <clears throat> made up mostly of uh, internal migrants, people who've come from the mountains or the countryside to get employment here, or in some cases, migrants from sub-Saharan Africa and particularly West Africa where we do arts programming. And this arts uh, performance that we're going to have uh, on the day after the Bicentennial will involve <coughs> the Moroccan cooperative that we work with, but also some of these young people um, from other parts of Morocco and some are from Cameroon and some are from Ivory Coast and they'll all be up on the roof. Uh, normally they would be doing street performances, but street performances are not yet permitted. So we've suggested that they do rooftop performances instead that we can film. Oh, very creative. You referenced it a bit about the importance of historical preservation. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you think um, historical preservation is important? I think it's uh, very important. Um, this, because we're located in a, inside the walls of, an old, of the old city of Tangier, um, the city of Tangier, the old city, the diplomatic city was the city of Tangier. So it wasn't only diplomats, it was, and it was a combination of 
Muslims, uh, Jews, mostly from uh, who had been expelled from Spain at the same time that the Moors were expelled, um, and then European Christians. And so they all lived together uh, side by side uh, in different neighborhoods that were, uh, they were not specific neighborhoods uh, set aside for people of a given religion. They were neighborhoods of people with, share, with uh, different religions of different economic classes. And um, that's something very special about the history of Tangier. Um, <clears throat> we work with our partners, uh, our Moroccan partners in ad, we don't normally take uh, political positions at all, uh, but one area where we do take a small pol political position in Morocco is to advocate for greater historical preservation. So we work with the governor, the governor's office on uh, restoration. Uh, we don't, uh, they, we're included on the teams that are give feedback to uh, restoration project proposals. We have um, worked with the embassy uh, sometimes uh, in, in sponsoring uh, workshops on historical preservation. We hope to do more of that and we hope to do a lot, uh, much more of it because this, uh, I believe it was the beginning of this year, I think it was early January, the United States signed a bilateral agreement with Morocco uh, on uh, controlling the trade, uh, the illegal trade in antiquities. And uh, we, uh, the State Department and some of these other overseas research centers had been involved in uh, historical preservation and advocacy. Um, and now we will join them, we hope to join them. And these include the overseas research centers in places like Cairo and Istanbul in uh, Jerusalem in Amman. Um, and I think what it does, it gives us an opportunity to, uh, to raise both at uh, typically at a, a level of those who advocate preservation, but because of our own model of working with the community. Um, I think we can, we along with our Moroccan partners can, can try to bolster support at neighborhood and community level. For historic preservation. Very often it's just about saving the building or fixing something, repairing something. But our approach, which was not our original approach, it was the approach of our partners from Tangier, was to work with the people who live in these neighborhoods because they're the ones who main, who have, whose support is absolutely necessary to sustain uh, historical preservation. And in the case of legation, we're located in the poorest neighborhood of the old Medina. So we have very close ties with, with our own neighbors who have, who have their own needs um, because this is not a neighborhood of bed and breakfast. It's not a neighborhood of tourist shops or anything. We, we are pretty much the only tourist venue, uh, the only tourist destination in our neighborhood. And the rest are just, you know, moms and dads and their kids and sometimes uh, single moms and their kids or single grandmothers and their daughters and their uh, grandchildren. And we try to listen and, and dialogue with them. And I think we set a good example. Um, a, a few years ago, a senior official from UNESCO was visiting Tangier and he toured the different sites. And at the end, they asked him what he thought about his visit. And he said, people should copy the American legation because um, I think what we've done is we began with the creation of a museum. We repurposed a building, a historical building whose function was the farthest thing you could be from a museum. Um, we repurposed it to build a museum. 
and the museum began by honoring Moroccan-American friendship. Now it honors the history of Tangier. It honors Moroccan 20th century painters. Uh, and it, we have a performance space now. We, like I was telling you about, we have live music concerts and things like that. So we really have become a, a museum, a research library, an educational center, a community center, and a cultural and arts center. And I think it's a very good example. We've seen the example duplicated in other venues in Tangier, including a military site that's become an art space. Uh, there's another 19th century French diplomatic, uh, former diplomatic space that is going to be repurposed into an artist in residence program because apparently Delacroix uh, resided there occasionally when he would visit in the 19th century. Um, a prison, uh, a Moroccan prison in the old, uh, the Kasbah district is being repurposed into another museum. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of these historic buildings take on functions that serve the community. Uh, they don't only serve tourists. Uh, they don't only get converted into guest houses or things like that. A little of that, of course, but not primarily. And I think what it does is enable people who visit, particularly Moroccans who visit, to more easily imagine the space that used to be there. That's not really doable when it's a tourist shop or when it's a, a, you know, a hotel or a bed and breakfast. But when it's a museum or some other art space that honors the history, I think it, you know, it's a really excellent example of how we in practice, not just in, in advocacy, but in practice, we can set an example. Very interesting. So is there anything else you want to add on the building um, Talim as an institution or the bicentennial? I would add about the building that we are well over 150 years old. Uh, we are in a very, uh, we're in a constant state of restoration, uh, as is every building in the old city of Tangier. We have humidity problems, we have architecture problems, we have foundational problems. The, the old city of Tangier, all of the streets and all of the sewers and all of the water systems are being redone uh, as, as we speak, not, not in the evening, but they're happening. Um, and so I think the importance of recognizing that the building itself is fragile uh, and, uh, and is, in, is endangered and will always be endangered because it's so old. We get, uh, the State Department is responsible for maintaining and restoring the building. Um, but we're uh, working with the World Monuments Fund to, to, to achieve status as a world monument. And that's specifically because of the role that we play as a, both as a monument, but in our role in supporting historical preservation. So I think that will help us maybe be, become more globally recognized as a, as, a, as a monument, as opposed to recognized here in Morocco. Um, I think another element uh, about the legation that is very is very interesting is that we um, is is this is our is our emphasis on diversity and inclusion. Uh, we as a museum, but this is us as Talim. Uh, we, like I said, we began focusing on inclusion uh, with the women's literacy program, but we've been focused perhaps unintentionally on diversity inclusion and inclusion, even in our own exhibits. We have an exhibit about uh, a slave uh, named Abdurrahman, um, 
who was a slave in the United States for nearly 30 years and who was rescued uh, and liberated and sent back to his own homeland, which was uh, the Futajalon region of what's now Mali and Guinea-Conakry, but through intervention of the head of the legation and who requested help from the Sultan of Morocco to bring him out of the United States. Um, I mentioned the, the work we did in the Second World War in terms of saving Jews, that's honored in the museum. Uh, we've had exhibits on uh, Sephardic wedding costumes and things like that. So I think it, both in the way we exhibit, we try to support diversity in our cultural pro programming. We try to do it. We've had programs with uh, Berber speaking musicians, Arabic speaking musicians. Uh, we even hosted this January virtually uh, their chief, um, uh, chief Chaka Zulu from uh, New Orleans as part of uh, Black History Month. We hosted a virtual concert with uh, performers from uh, New Orleans who themselves based their heritage on their African and Native American heritage. And, um, and then most recently, and this is very touching, um, we've, with our arts programming, we started to do arts programming to youth with special needs because a lot of people d don't always think of uh, people with special needs as, uh, as people who, who we should be reaching out to. And we have done that um, and we've done it. And uh, according to the people who run the programs, these art programs, you hear stories from the, the monitors and, the, and the, um, the, 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 the young folks who are leading the programs about how they're teaching art or teaching uh, circus art to these young people. And their teachers are telling them that these young people are communicating more now than they ever did before because of this kind, these kinds of programs. And I think it's, it's something that is really special. And for the first time, hopefully this will be in person, we'll be represented uh, in September in Lisbon, Portugal at the International Conference on Inclusive Museums. Um, and so we're a historic museum, but we're also an inclusive museum. And I think that's something that we should be very proud of here. And again, set an example. Definitely. So thank you very much. Finally, you mentioned a little bit about your career as a, as a foreign service officer. Mm -hmm. um, would you recommend it to any listeners? I would not only recommend uh, the foreign service, I would begin by recommending the Peace Corps. <laughs> Although it's, as I understand it, you, you can't quite join until after the pandemic eases. Yeah, it's, they were both wonderful parts of my life. And, uh, and one of the things that I, that I was very privileged to do as a diplomat was something that we imagined doing, but very few of us ever got to, got to do, is I actually got to be a negotiator at twice at the United Nations. And, and uh, I think that it, it, it's something that people who are very interested in negotiating, it's a great skill. If you're interested in foreign cultures, it's a, it's a great profession. Um, if you're a little bit of a global nomad like I am, it's a perfect profession. But, uh, but I think so is Peace Corps, so are uh, UN volunteers. Uh, people forget that the, many people don't know that the UN have a volunteer program. Um, and you can be a UN volunteer as an auto mechanic, or you can be a UN volunteer with a technical skill. You don't necessarily have to have high levels, high levels, levels of education to do that. You do have to have more than uh, more than one UN language. Yeah. So if anyone has uh, 
okay, uh, beyond English, Spanish, French, Russian, Chinese, and um, Arabic. So if you've got any of the other five, you can apply to be a UN volunteer. But I think that those are great things. I'm a big advocate of the Fulbright program. Um, the Fulbright program is, again, not only for uh, people in PhD programs. There are Fulbright uh, uh, English teachers. There are Fulbright authors and artists and poets. Um, Ames, we have a little bit of that as well. But uh, I think uh, it all can begin with studying abroad uh, uh, because they, uh, Again, something that's sort of fallen out because of the pandemic, but the the idea that you begin by you know exploring the world and studying um, gap years are nice too. I, but I didn't take one. I'm taking one as soon as when I retire from this position, and I took one when I retired from the State Department. So uh, I do recommend gap years for uh, youth of all ages. Exactly. We're we're always learning, and we're always young. At yeah, heart, right? Exactly. We're trying to be. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, you, congratulations on the bicentennial and yeah. um, all the best. And come, please come visit. Um, Morocco is open now to American and Canadian uh, tourists. It's closed to uh, most of the European countries. But if you've got your uh, PCR test, it's less than 72 hours. And if you stay in a hotel, um, you can uh, travel to Morocco. And I'm sure it'll be opening up even more to Europeans and others. As yeah, the, I think so. I think so as well. But for American viewers, uh, it is a, 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 it is it's on the green list of countries that Americans can travel to. Yeah, and it's a more, e more easily than to Western Europe and some other countries. And it's a very fascinating country. And it's, it is a fascinating country. And uh, English is very widely spoken here uh, in the north. Uh, so is Spanish and French, but. English really has become sort of the, the popular second language for young people uh, of, uh, of all different educational levels. So it's a comfortable place to visit, um, some beautiful hotels and beautiful nature and not just the desert. The desert is phenomenal, but uh, people forget that the Atlas Mountains are snow covered. You can go skiing here in the winter, great surfing, great windsurfing. So uh, it, it, you don't only have to be a tourist interested in historic and cultural tourism. There's a lot of other things to do uh, if you're a hiker or if you're a uh, surfers already know about Morocco. <laughs> and so do windsurfers. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much again. Really and come to Tangier when you come to Morocco. Yes. Please visit the legation. It's definitely on my bucket list. Been in Morocco, but not Tangier. So we'll, we'll definitely be coming soon. Thank you so Thank much. You. Take care. Good Bye. evening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We would love your feedback. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or message us on our social media accounts. We are Expedition National Parks on Facebook and Instagram and Expedition NPS on Twitter. Thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. And as always, follow the inspiration of the Junior Renjo motto, keep exploring, learning, and protecting. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.